0: Can I just get a sound check, please, from someone? Someone can please give me a sound check. Okay, Sakallah Khair. Okay, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi So welcome to, um, I believe it's lesson 6 of uh, QP3, Year 3 of Quranic Progression And last week we began the tafsir of Surah al al-bayyinah. And like we do at the beginning of every lesson now And I think this is going to become the norm It's good to do just like a brief recap and then inshallah ta'ala we can, we can continue So, Last week we began with the Tafsir of Surah Al-Bayyan and primarily we spoke about the introduction of this Surah and we had um, a couple of points that we mentioned uh, we had an interesting discussion on the Mecky and Madani issue of this Surah which will come on to shortly but I wanted to begin with the various names that this Surah is known by in the books of, of Tafsir and Hadith and, and the, um, the old copies of the Musahif as mentioned by Ibn Ashur So can anyone tell me like some of the names that this surah is known by please? We said that the surah was known by seven names, seven different names. Can anyone give me some of those or one of those or some of those seven various names that the surah is known by? anyone? So I'll give you the first one because it's easy al Bayna. okay so al Bayna. that's one that we said is mentioned in some of the works of Hadith like Al-Nasa'i and it's mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir such as Ibn Abi Hatim and Al-Baghawi and others uh, yeah so then we have um, the other one is لم يكن الَّذِينَ كَفَرُ And that's one that's mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari that we mentioned of Ubi Ibn Ka'ab رضي الله And then we have the name لم يكن which is mentioned in uh, by Imam Al-Bukhari رحمه الله himself and Ibn Al-Mubarak and Al-Tirmidhi uh, Tabari and Ibn Kathir amongst others And then we have a number of names that are mentioned by Ibn Ashur as belonging uh, as being found in some of the books of Qiraat and some of the old Musahif and those are the names Al-Bariyah uh, and Ahlul Kitab and al infikak and Al-Qayyimah and so those are seven names that the surah is known by so just to recap al number one number two Lam-Yakun Kafaru number three Lam-Yakun number four Ahlul Kitab number five infikak number six Al-Bariyah, and number seven Al-Qayyimah seven surahs that you will find uh, seven names that the surah for this surah that you will find in the various books of Tefsir and so on and then we came on to interesting discussion that I'd like um, someone just to briefly recap for me and that was whether this surah is a Meccan and Madani surah. And we mentioned that there's a difference of opinion. Some of the scholars of tafsir held this to be a Mecki surah by which we mean that it was revealed before the Hijrah. And others from amongst them said that it is a Madani surah by which we mean that it was revealed post Hijra. And the discussion that we had is how we, uh, as students of knowledge, can, when we find these differing opinions, what is there that we can take from just the sciences, just the principles that we've already studied and learned as well as the um, you know just from the reading of the Surah that we can kind of then use to ascertain as to some evidences or some proofs or some points that would support either one of those two positions, whether it's a meki position or whether it's a, a Madani position. So can anyone just briefly recap that for me please, can someone tell me um, what were some of the points that we mentioned when looking at the meki madani question what were some of the points that we discussed? So Sumaira, very good, due to its brevity, we said that it may be Meccan, right, You may be Meccan due to its uh, brevity and also because of its, um, you know, because of, uh, because of, of some of the, uh, the issues that are mentioned within there. So for example, generally the issue of Tawheed and, and the worship of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala and those types of themes is in touch with what is mentioned in the Meccan periods. And so therefore that's something in you know, Jannah and Naar and, and those types of themes and concepts are something which are which are mentioned in Meccan surahs generally. And then we said but those who said that it is Madani, as Sumaira mentions, is because of the ruling of Zakah that is mentioned therein or the concept of Zakah. Uh, now one thing that you will appreciate as we mentioned last week is that you will find scholars who go back and forth. So for example those scholars who said um, that it is a, a Meccan surah Will say that there's no reason why the concept of zakat as zakah cannot be mentioned, even though its ruling wasn't something which was obligated, uh, obligated until at the time of Medina, and so that's a possibility. You know that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions something without necessarily saying that it is an obligation, even though the general ruling in that you will find in the Sharia is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't mention those concepts except in the surahs or in the time period in which it was it had become an obligation. Allah Azza knows best Salah mentions the same thing of zakah and also because of the mention of Ahlul Kitab. Right? The mention of Ahlul Kitab. Those scholars who say and Imam Shokani mentions this point, that those scholars who say that it is a Mecki surah, uh, sorry, that, that say it's a Medini surah, you see so the question is why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention both? Why does Allah Azza mention Ahlul Kitab and Mushrikeen? Those scholars that say that the Allah uh, the, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions both he says because Allah jal is referring in the whole surah to Ahlul Kitab which supports then the Madani position and the reason why he mentions the Mushrikeen is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pointing to the fact that the Ahlul Kitab in some of their beliefs and their concepts were Mushrikeen for example the fact that they claim that Isa alayhi salam is the son of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or that some of the Jews said that Uzair alayhi salam is the son of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a concept of shirk and so Allah mentions them both even though he's referring to the people of Ahlul Kitab. And Allah Azzawajal knows best. But that's something which is mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir. I think ash shawkani Rahimahullah, mentions something of that of that sort. Uh, ya yeah, Muhammad, uh, Riyaz, the form of the Surah. Muhammad, the companion that was told to recite this Surah, was an Ansari companion, a companion from the people of Medina. And that companion was Zubayy ibn Ka'ab, radiyallahu anhu. Uh, okay, so uh, Is zakah a term that came with the ruling? I just remember that mentioned even as a command to previous prophets. Yeah, so the concept of zakah as we know therefore is something which is known to previous prophets as is the concept of salah as is the concept of, of salm, right? Allah Azza wa Jal mentions all of this within the Quran as is the concept of pilgrimage, hajj. Right? And you have various <clears throat> that's actually a very interesting thing to, to look at as well. A uh, question I have for you guys. Um, those of you that are, that are with us online I have a question for you that i like uh, you to answer please all of you in your own way that is that one of the things that I'd like to do in QP also uh, one of the things that we've started to doing inshallah ta'ala is having more interaction in terms of I want a discussion on certain points where we can discuss, like we did with the Makki and Madani thing and other elements that we will look at inshallah ta'ala, where we can have a discussion and take the principles that we've learnt over the past two years and that we're continuously learning and some of the knowledge that we've gained and try to apply within ourselves that ability to have to make tafsir. So just with the knowledge that we've already accumulated and the principles that we know, when we come to an issue like the Makki Madani one or like for example some of the issues that we will, that we will speak about, we use the knowledge that we have to develop our ability, our malaka, our ability to make tafsir and then we extrapolate and we bring benefits and so on and so forth. That's something which I, inshallah ta'ala, want to do more of as I mentioned before. But another thing that I would like to uh, ask about and, and get your feedback about is whether I could give out certain research issues to people that I want them to go away and research. So for example, we have an issue, three, four of you say, okay, I have some time, I can take that. And inshallah, it won't be anything that's gonna take you more than 15, 20 minutes, half an hour in the week. And it's something which you can come and then feedback by because a great form of seeking knowledge and especially in tafsir is by being able to go and do research yourself by being able to take a, a josea an issue and go and do some research and then come and feedback. and this isn't something which you know it's not going to be published or anything like that it's not like nothing that formal or academic but just again to build within ourselves that ability to make uh to to have the ability to make tafsir and to also research tafsir and to bring um to bring uh to bring that together so the issue is not um you know it's not for example for you to go and, and 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 theorize on something but it's something which i will say to you i want you to go and research this particular issue that's mentioned in this verse and to feed back to me so what you would do is you would go to uh, various websites you would go to various books of tafsir you would go to various books on the quran and you would bring that back. And the only caveat that I have, if you guys are happy to do this, the only caveat that I had have is that it should be academic in nature. Meaning, you know, you don't have to reference the stuff and I'm not going to ask you to email me anything or anything like that. But in your own research, academic level, well, in the sense that you don't just do a, a, a general Google search where you have a thousand hits and you just go into some random websites and you don't really know where that knowledge is coming from. What I want you to do is academic in nature in the sense that you verify your sources. And you verify your reference points, and the, what you the knowledge that you take is something which you can then bring. And when you share that back, you say, "I read this in, for example, Tafsir Ibn Kathir," or as Shawkani mentions this in his Tafsir. Or, for example, I don't know, uh, you know, one of the one of the ulama of our time mentioned this as in his commentary um, in in Tafsir. And I think that would greatly benefit uh, all of us. And it's something which, inshallah ta'ala, which um, you know, I'm glad to see. Um, Uh, that you're kind of all saying uh, yes to and definitely no Wikipedia right I don't want just like general stuff because uh, it will be interesting I will do my own research on these issues as well and so that way we can come back and we can inshallah ta'ala feedback together Uh, Sumira English sources only Arabic too, English Arabic uh, any that you like as long as as long as you abide by that condition that I've set down so, it's not just random English stuff. And remember, we're doing tafsir, so I don't want just like random people's contemplations. I don't just want people, uh, you know, giving me theories. I don't, has to be based on some form of knowledge. So, you can, for example, deduce something that we speak about in the Quran and you say, oh, but I found this, you know, to be mentioned in, in the Sunnah. So, one of the issues that, for example, someone could look into, uh, just by way of example, now is this issue that we just came across now. The concept of zakah and salah and hajj and Ramadan, where discussing it here in the context of does that make a surah Madani or makki. But now we've also established that there are surahs in the Quran that speak about those concepts of zakah and salah and hajj and so on being spoken in the frame of or in the context of previous prophets. So previous prophets for example understood the concept of of salah the concept of zakah. Allah Azza mentions in Surah Maryam concerning Isa alayhi salam concerning Yahya alayhi salam. So we understand that the concepts existed there. So therefore, why can't the concept be mentioned in a, in a Makki Surah because the concept exists, right? And some of those places in the Quran are Makki Surahs. And so therefore, that's a concept that we can understand. So that's like a good research point, right? It's not the one that I'm going to ask you to do necessarily unless someone wants to go and do that. But you have, for example, an example of that then would be of an academic type of, of, of slant too. That is, you say, for example, Hajj. Hajj is something which we know that was established before the time of the prophet before our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam came with our sharia hajj was there before so what what examples do we have that hajj was there before other than the obvious one of of ibrahim alaihi salam and Ismail alaihi uh, salam building the foundation building and 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 causing the the structure of the kaaba to be built uh, building the kaaba and raising its foundations rather you know you can then go back and take a hadith slant on that and you can find for example a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which he spoke about how the prophets that came before prayed in Masjid Al-Khaif, how the Prophet ﷺ saw uh, a vision of certain prophets in Mina uh, walking through Mina as they're as they're making the Talbiyah and so on. So those are good points that you can do. So for example you know that's something which, which um, you know which as an example you would take that concept and then what I want from it is a research base. So for example you can go to books of hadith, you can go to books of tafsir as long as you can reference and support what you're saying from a credible source of knowledge. And I would prefer that that credible source of knowledge even better if it's not just an individual. For example Ahsan says. right? Ahsan saying something doesn't mean that it's necessarily credible. Where did Hassan take that knowledge from? That's credible. What are the sources and the references that he used? And that's what we have to get used to be able to doing in our critical thinking. Because just because, for example, as we've seen in our study of Tafsir, just because, for example, a scholar of Tafsir mentions something in his book, doesn't mean that we accept it to be, you know, Quran and, and, and indisputable and the absolute truth. And there can be no disagreement within that. We understand, therefore, that there are differences of opinion, that there are evidences that are stronger and weaker and so on. And so to go back to sources, of the books of Tafsir, rather than just listening to a YouTube clip or you know someone giving a lecture on something, I would prefer that. But anyway, we will accept, You know, we're not going to be so strict, this isn't a PhD or anything, um, but inshallah, it's, it's something which I would uh, like to begin with inshallah ta'ala. Uh, any guidelines as to length? Not really, uh, not really. I feel like we will see a couple of bullet points by some and a longer paper by others. You can't put a longer paper on, onto this portal, I hope. Uh, I hope that someone would Would shut you down before that happens. The idea of this is just to feedback, so you must summarize this. And actually, that's a very good skill. If you have a paper that you researched over three or four pages long, to be able to summarize that into a synopsis, or to just give us the fruit or the thamara, or you know what is the gem from that, is something which is also a very good, uh, very good thing to do. And those of you that studied, uh, did did the reading of the Surajalain with me, will understand how uh, scholars are able to take what is a Encyclopedia of knowledge of Tafsir, and then shrink it down to what is basically the main point. So that's what we kind of want to do because we don't want to be spending the whole of the lesson on on these types of issues. Can a few of us team up, or do we need to research individually? You can team up. I mean, uh, amongst yourselves. I'm not getting involved in in managing this process as long, as long as there's no admin involved. If you're if you're able to team up with a few people and you want to manage that yourselves, then yeah, that's that's you're more than welcome to do that. Inshallah, Taala. And this will be completely voluntary. I'm not. I'm not going to uh, pinpoint anyone or ask anyone to do this. Even though I think that it would be good for 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 people generally to to get used to this. Uh, a quick point also before I forget, just before we begin and we carry on, and just before I forget, inshallah taala, next week's lesson will begin at 8 p.m. UK time. So next next week, inshallah taala, just in case I forget to mention this at the end of the lesson, next week's lesson will begin at 8 o'clock p.m. Bidnilahi taala. So the time will change. From eight thirty to eight PM, that's UK time, obviously. Okay. So last week we actually began with the first verse of Surah al uh, and we began discussing it and then we didn't really get time to go through everything. So I think we're going to recap over that and then continue from there. And that's the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which he says, لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ mun مُنْفَكِينَ حَتَّى تَأْتِيَهُمُ البينة. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning of this surah he says those who disbelieve among the people of the book and the idolaters were not about to change their ways until they were sent clear evidence and one of the things that we discussed last week is the difference of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir in particular concerning some of the uh, the mean also, or two issues primarily concerning the first verse in which there was a difference of opinion. And we mentioned last week, uh, I'm sure you remember, we spoke about how uh, some of the scholars of Tafsir even went to the extent of saying that this first verse of Surah Bayyinah is one of the most complex and the most difficult to understand in Tafsir. And that's the statement of Al Wahidi, he makes in his, in his Tafsir Al Wahidi has a number of works and writings on tafsir. In one of them, he says that this was one of the most difficult for me to understand. But as we said, even though there is a difference of opinion and there is a number of discussion points that the scholars have, in essence, we can come to some, inshallah ta'ala, fruitful conclusion by the end as later scholars after Al-Wahidi managed to do themselves. Rahmatullah. So we began last week with the statements of or the opinions or the views of Imam al-Tabari. Abu Ja'far, Muhammad ibn al-Jarir al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala who died in the year 310 of the Hijrah as we've mentioned a number of times. And we said that the two points on which there seems to be a difference of opinion is number one over the meaning of the word munfakina in this verse. And the word and as we said, one of the names of the surah al-Infikaak comes from this word munfakeena. And munfakin generally means to split or to uh, stop or to put an end to. And so the scholars differed as to exactly what it was that that was referring to. And the second point that they differed over is the bayina at the end of the first verse, what is being referred to as the clear evidence that Allah is referring to. And what is it that they're referring to? So what is it that they're not going to stop doing the Mushrikeen and Ahlul Kitab? And what is it that they are waiting for? What is the bayina that comes to them that will then show them the reality of that situation? Those were the two points that we mentioned. And at Ta'ala mentions two views concerning this that we uh, discussed last week. The first of them is he says that they won't stop what they are upon from their worship of their gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's what they're not going to do. So the munfaqeen with him in this first opinion means muntaheen, that they won't end. They won't stop doing something until there comes to them a bayina, a clear evidence. And he says in that first view, that the evidence is the Quran. So the clear evidence that Allah is referring to according to that first opinion is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala itself, the Quran that comes. The second opinion, and this is the opinion that is attributed to uh, Tawus rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of the Tabi'een or from the students of Ibn Abbas He says that what they will not do is that they will not leave. So with him, the meaning of the word is to leave, not to stop, but to leave. They will not leave off holding on to the description of the Prophet that they found within their scriptures until the clear sign comes to them. What is the clear sign? Our Prophet So what does that mean? I think we explained this last week. It means that each of those Prophets expected within their scriptures they found mention of a Messenger that was going to come, a final Messiah or another Messenger that would come. And they interpreted that in different ways, in their own ways and so on. <coughs> in waiting... For that messenger to arrive, to appear, that time to come, those people will not leave off holding on to that hope, to that dream, to that description of what is being mentioned in their scriptures as being a prophet that will come. And then you find, after this, you find that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sends the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wasallam when the clear proof comes, and they realize that this prophet is not from them, he's not from the Jews, he's not from the Christians. He's from the Arabs. He's not from Bani Israel. Then they leave. So the clear proof that came to them that made them then stop accepting that message or changing it or twisting it or misinterpreting or doing whatever they did with it, it was the appearance of the Prophet ﷺ. That's the second opinion and the view that he that he mentions here, and and uh, and we know this to be the case because we know in a number of hadith, a number of narrations in the Sunnah, <coughs> we find mention of stories in which there are companions who were told of a prophet who would come and actually one of the interesting points that you can research even from a hadith point of view let alone uh, you know it's something maybe even to do with the shamail of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. is which of the disbelievers or which of the jews and the christians uh, accepted the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as being the prophet of allah whether they followed or believed in him or not just by his description understood him to be the Prophet that was mentioned in the scriptures. So for example, you have the example of Salman al farsi an. his reason for leaving Persia and finding his way through slavery and so on and so forth, all the way to Medina, is because he's told by a rabbi in his land that the time has come for a Prophet to appear, and he will appear in a land that is full of date palm trees, a land that is, uh, that is full of date palm trees. And he travels to different lands looking for this, until he finally, eventually arrives in the city of, Medina, and obviously we know that he becomes a Muslim and accepts Islam, and becomes from the greatest of the companions, from among the great companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's a good example. Another example is of the, the story of Bahira, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi is young in age, and Abu Talib takes him on a caravan, on a, on a journey, on an expedition, on a, on a rather on a on a, on a trade caravan to a Sham, and then Bahira, who is a monk and a rabbi, uh, a monk that's living there, he realizes from seeing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that this is the Prophet that is going to be that is going to come. Uh, so that's another example. Another example, the third example that you can give is the story of Hiraqul, that's mentioned at length in Sahih al Bukhari, the story of Abu Sufyan when he's presented before the Caesar of, of Byzantine Rome and he's asked to uh, you know to to go through that the whole incident. It's a long long hadith long narration that you find mentioned a number of times in Sahih al Bukhari. And Hiraql Heraclius knows that this Prophet will come because he recognizes him through the signs that he found within those scriptures. Another example as, as Basira mentions is Abdullah ibn Salam anh, the Jewish rabbi who becomes a Muslim and he realizes that the Prophet is the Messenger of Allah that they were waiting for because he found mention of him and that news within the Torah. So you have those two opinions. those two opinions that Ibn al-Tabari mentions. And Imam al-Tabari then when he chooses one, he says that the uh, the meaning of the verse, the one that he chooses rahimahullah ta'ala is that the disbelievers and the people of the book will not cease to be divided concerning the issue of this Prophet until there comes to them the clear evidence and that is the coming of the Prophet that is the coming of the Prophet they will not cease to be divided. How are they divided, the disbelievers and the mushrikeen? The mushrikeen are divided in the sense that they don't believe in any prophet or messenger will come. And the Jews and the Christians are divided because each one thinks that that Savior or that Messiah or that messenger will come from them and they will support them and they will be the ones who will be victorious. And then when the Prophet does come, then That's something which they realized then that it was neither of those options and it was something completely unexpected to them, as Hiraqal himself mentions in that hadith in Al Bukhari. He says, that I knew that a prophet was going to come, but I never thought that he would be from amongst you. He's saying to Abu Sufyan, meaning from amongst the Arabs. Why do um, why do why does a tabari choose their opinion? This is to do with the beginning of verse number two, and we'll come on to this inshallah when we come on to verse number two. But essentially what he's saying is that the word bayina is then further clarified at the beginning of verse number two because Allah Azza wa says, humul rasulum minallah until there comes to you a clear evidence, a messenger of Allah. And we will speak about this inshaAllah Ta'ala shortly when we come to that verse. But that's basically the basis upon which they are which they are uh, which he is Ta'ala basing this upon. You have a number of different opinions concerning this, um and this is one of the reasons why Al Wahidi uh, Rahimallah ta'ala mentioned that this is something which there is a great difference of opinion and something which is confusing, something which he struggled with and found to be one of the most more difficult verses to make tafsir of and I think I mentioned this last week but you will find this as being a statement of different scholars of tafsir, What they refer to and what they consider to be from the most difficult verses of the Quran to make tafsir of simply because of the very uh, many differing views and opinions and statements that are mentioned concerning the tafsir of those verses and so they don't all agree they have different verses concerning what they refer to fall into that category this is one example by Al Wahidi but someone who mentions the different views and he kind of gathers them and does them in a very good way is Imam al-Shawkani in his Tifseer he mentions a number of these opinions and from the opinions that he mentions is that the people will not, not cease and not stop to be divided amongst themselves until there comes to them a clear Proof Meaning that they will continue to be divided Until the very end of their lives Until towards the end of their lives Until they see that clear proof Towards the end of their lives And obviously he's speaking about the And he's speaking about the Ahlul Kitab Of the time of the Prophet And then another opinion he mentions Is that they will continue uh, To be divided They will not cease Meaning that they will not cease They will continue to be upon what they are upon Until the clear Uh, sign comes to them meaning until what they are upon is completely removed how will it be removed because Islam will come and it will replace it another opinion is that it is death that is being referred to they will continue to be upon what they were upon until they see the clear evidence what is the clear evidence death that comes to them so one opinion is that it is towards the end of their lives they will see Islam being established another one is that it will be removed their systems will be removed and they will see a different system coming in its place. Another one is that they will see it at the time of the death, they will realize that it is something which shows to them the fallacy that they were upon and the truthfulness of Islam. Another opinion is that it will not be, that they will not be punished. That is what is being referred to. So the munfakeen is that Allah Azza will not punish them. So they will not cease to live in what they live in, in, that Allah Azza will not cease to give them a chance and to give them time and they will not be punished until only until after the bayina comes. What is the Bayyina? In this opinion, it is the literal meaning of bayina, which is that clear evidence is established upon them. So that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to punish them, when He punishes them, then they will have no excuse before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they will have seen the clear proof. They will see have seen the clear proof that shows to them that what they were upon was falsehood. So these are the different opinions that you have um, and, and they are similar but at the same time they are different they refer to different things in terms of the meaning of does it mean to be split and divided, does it mean not to stop, does it mean to cease to exist does it mean to split off from, what does it mean exactly and the bayina, does it refer to death, does it refer to the coming of the Sharia, does it refer to the Quran does it refer to the Prophet what is it being referred to and because of those different views you find that Al Wahidi was amongst the scholars who found it difficult to make tafsir of, but in reality, when we look at the latest scholars of tafsir, you look at Ibn Kathir, you look at Ibn Taymiyyah, you look at, for example, Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin Al Ali Muhammadullah, and others. The scholars that you we often often consider to be from the muhakkikin, then they kind of revolve around the position that Imam Al Tabari, mentioned, either that one. Or the second one, the, t- the two opinions that they kind of revolve around. Number one is the position chosen by Imam al-Tabri, taala, that is referring to the Prophet, sallallahu wasallam. Or number two, that is referring to some type of evidence being established upon them, some type of evidence being established upon them, meaning that they have will have no excuse before Allah subhanahu wa taala. So Sheikh Muhammad Amin Al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah taala, said that the bayna is the Prophet, sallallahu wasallam. And he said that Allah, when He says munfaqeen, He doesn't need to mention and specify what it is that they're they're not going to stop doing because it's obvious, He says. And what they're not going to stop doing is their acts of disbelief and their acts of shirk. So the meaning of the verse then is that the disbelievers, the Ahlul Kitab, the Mushrikeen, they will not cease to continue to be upon their disbelief and upon their shirk and upon their kufr until the Prophet comes to them Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Why is it the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Again, because of the beginning of verse number two, and that's what Ibn Kathir Rahimahullah Ta'ala also chose, he says, the bayin Allah jal, then goes on to explain himself, so we don't need to theorize as to whether it's the Quran or whether it's the Prophet Sallallahu or whether it's something else, because Allah mentions it very clearly at the beginning of verse number two, he says, Rasulun Min Allah, a messenger of Allah, and who is the messenger of Allah except our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now clearly the messenger of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Allah will then mention as we'll come on to verse number 2 يَتْلُوهُ mutahara. He's reciting from pure scripture and that pure scripture being the Qur'an and so even those two views of it being the Qur'an and being the Prophet even though they are somewhat different but at the same time they, they both encompass one another because you obviously don't have one except that you have the other and that is why we will find when we come on to the view of Ibn Taymiyyah that he went through went to a, a more generic view and that is the second view that we mentioned and that is that it's referring to the evidence being established upon them in general because the evidence being established upon them in general refers to the Qur'an and refers to the Prophet wasallam as well. Uh, Shaykh Atiyah Sanim, taala, because in, as we mentioned the last three juz of of the Quran in in the Tafsir of Sheikh Muhammad bin Shaqiti was completed by his student Atiyah Salim also a a major scholar in his own right. Um, Atiyah Salim mentions the statement of Ibn Atiyah uh, no relation, Ibn Atiyah is the famous scholar of Tafsir, who we often refer to in our classes. He says um, that there is another meaning that he mentions which is also Very nice. And this is the mention, this is the same thing that Ibn Taymiyyah will refer to later on as well. And that is that what's being referred to is that these people will not cease to be beyond Allah's control. They will not cease to be beyond Allah's control. Meaning that these people who are disbelievers, Mushrikeen Ahlul Kitab, will never be beyond the reach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will never be beyond the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Allah will send to them clear signs which will be a messenger who will come to them and establish the proof upon them, and thereby Allah will complete his blessing, meaning because he gave them the path and showed them the path to guidance. So the meaning that he says is that these people will never be left misguided, meaning that they won't be left without guidance whether they accept the guidance or not is as we know a different issue but allah will make clear to them the path of guidance will show to them the evidences will bring to them the prophet sallallahu and that is what is being referred to in this verse and this is what ibn timia rahimahullah ta'ala kind of concludes after he mentions a number of opinions concerning what is being referred to here is it the prophet sallallahu or is it being referred to something else the quran or whatever he mentions these views and then eventually he comes to the conclusion that what is being referred to, he says, the best of what was mentioned is that these people will not be left alone. They will not be left to continue upon their kufr and their disbelief without being commanded to do what is right and forbidden from what is evil. And until the messenger is sent to them, establishing clear evidence and proof over them, so that they will know the path of truth and guidance. And so that is the position that he chose as well. So we can see, therefore, from all of the different views that we have, um, that we have. As, as Sumir has, has nicely uh, concluded and that is correct what she's mentioned. Uh, what what we have therefore is the position of the two scholars, Ibn, Ibn uh, al-Imam al-Tabari and then the scholars like Ibn Atiyah and, and uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and others. It kind of revolves around the two of them and both of them are similar in in, in, in the sense that either is referring to the Prophet wasallam, that they will not cease to be divided concerning this issue of prophethood of who, where the Prophet would come from next until the Prophet Wasallam is sent himself or it's referring to what Ibn Taymiyyah ta'ala mentions and that is even more generic it's even more general and that is that those people will not be left in their misguidance and upon their evil and in their shirk and in their kufr until Allah sends to them a Prophet and a messenger who makes clear for them the path to guidance and that is the position that Ibn Taymiyyah ta'ala mentioned and chose and Allah knows best in verse number two, now Allah subhanahu wa taala then goes on to mention and he clarifies the meaning of bayina according to many of the scholars, and he says rasulum mean Allah, rasulum mean Allah, and rasulun because if you look at the end of, of verse number one, when Allah azza wa says Hatta until there comes to them a bayina too. Why then, or oh, why is it then that they say that Rasulun min Allah is a clarification? In Arabic, this is known as Badal, right? Badal in Arabic grammar means to replace, to be able to replace something, right? Uh, so for example, I don't know, um, in Arabic, for example, a name can be replaced by a kunya, right? And it means the same thing. So for example, that's why you have, uh, if you say, for example, um, uh, Abu Abdullah. Abu Abdil. if you say Abu Abdullah and then you mention the name Muhammadun right, Muhammad replaces Abu Abdullah and so there is, in Arabic it's called Badal Badal means to replace something so the Bayna here is being replaced it's being clarified, it's being told us by what it is, if it is a Badal in Arabic language, the way one of the ways that it's known by is that it follows the same Arab. so if the Ta at the end of Bayna has a Dhamma, then the Rasul must have a Dhamma بَيِّنَتُ رَسُولٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ So it's a badl, that's what they base this upon. So Ibn Kathir Rahimahullah Ta'ala as we mentioned and Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti and others said that the Rasul of Allah, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, يَتْلُوهُ صُحُفًا مُطَهَّرًا A messenger from God reading out of pages with uh, reading out, out pages blessed with purity. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to look at was the different translations that we have for this so abdul halim says a messenger from god reading a pages blessed with purity in Sahih international a messenger from allah reciting purified scriptures mufti uh, taqi says a messenger from allah who recites the purified scrolls and muhsin khan a messenger meaning muhammad from allah reciting the quran purified pages meaning purified from al and falsehood and so on so uh, similar basically in the in the translation uh, in the translations that they have so it is Badl, so this is the position of Ibn, Ibn Kathir, Shamhamd al-Amin Shaqiti and others, that the word Rasulun is to clarify Bayna, the clear evidence mentioned at the end of verse number one, Allah Azza wa mentions and clarifies what it means and what it's referring to at the beginning of verse number two. And that is, that is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who recites the Quran, which is a clear scripture, which is a clear scripture that is contained in blessed scrolls. It is contained in blessed scrolls. Al Qurtubi mentions another view, and that is that he says, from a purely Arabic grammatical point of view, either it can be badal, as we mentioned, so Rasulun min Allah. Or another qira'a that you have which is not a qirah that is widely recited, it's not a mutawatir qirah, but a shad qira'a, it is the qirah that is attributed to Abu ibn Ka'ab and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud عنهما, is that the Rasul has a fathatain upon it, a fatha upon it. So instead of Rasulun Allah, Rasulam Allah. And so when you say Rasulam Allah, now it's no longer clarification but it is a new verse that begins within its own right. And so therefore, the clarification doesn't carry on. And that's why you find, especially amongst the earliest scholars, who didn't, maybe because they took the reading of Ibn uh, Ubayy ibn Ka'b and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhumah, they didn't refer necessarily to the Bayyina being Rasulun min Allah. But rather they said that the Bayyina could be the Qur'an, it could be death, it could be something else. And therefore, as we mentioned before, it's important to understand where it is that these scholars differ and why they differ, what is the cause of their difference of opinion. And so one of the causes is therefore, the grammatical uh, position of this word rasul and whether it's a continuation at the end of the end of verse number 1 or whether it's the beginning of a completely new uh, verse with no connection to the previous verse so al-qurtubi ta'ala and others have mentioned uh, these two opinions within their books of tafsir yatlu suhufa yatlu means to uh, to recite so the word qiraa in arabic generally means to read right to read and yatlu can also mean to read uh, but it often refers to uh, reading with a, a a voice right and that's why the word tartil rattil tilawa yatlu these are words that you find within the quran suhufan mutahara. suhuf is the plural of sahifa sahifa means a scroll it means a scroll or it means a a, a page or something upon which something is written Right, so remember in the time especially of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, things like books were not known. So what was written was something which was written upon is something like a a a, a scroll. Or a, and that's how they will write letters on scrolls and so on. So books, in the way that we understand books and publishing and binding and so on, that's not something which was commonly known and accepted in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But rather what they would have is they would have Sahifa and Suhuf right, which is scrolls and that's why even the hadith that speak about the sins of people on the Day of Judgment even if you look at for example the hadith of the man who will come with 99 scrolls of evil deeds because the Arabic word is Suhuf you comes with Sijil and Sijil is a type of scroll it's something that's written down and it's like a record that is kept and so those terms is, is what they would refer to as being something upon which is written mutahara, and it is pure it has been purified. Ibn Abbas عنه, said, meaning it is pure from any type of falsification, any type of doubt, any type of misguidance, any type of hypocrisy. And Qatada تعالى, said, it is pure from every falsehood, from lying and from doubts and from everything else which is considered to be false. Right? And, and clearly the meaning is the same. So whether we you know, go into it and say, or whether we say generally it is every type of falsehood or whether we go into detail and say, uh, you know as ibn Abbas radiyallahu did in terms of kufr and nifaq and so on, the meaning is the same. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these people, Allah will send to them the proof. One of the beautiful meanings of this of these these verses that we take therefore is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that the best of proof, the best of guidance that we need to take and that it is for us to take, is the guidance of the Quran. And what we have therefore in the Quran is sufficient for us. It is enough for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Messenger of Allah came Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with is within what is in the Quran. And that's why you find especially in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and even in the beginning periods of the of the of the period of the Khulafa and their reign, in the times for example of Abu Bakr and Umar especially, anhuma that the majority focus was on the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. And the issue of, of narrating a hadith even though the companions understood the importance of hadith and they memorized it and they and they narrated it and they discussed it and so on, but just to narrate it openly to everyone and anyone wasn't something which the companions used to do. What they would do is that they would mention the hadith when they needed to. So for example, if there's a ruling or there's an issue or something needs to be taught, they would refer to it. But just to sit and narrate a hadith to students as we often do, when, for example, if we're doing a reading of Bukhari or Muslim or a book of hadith, we're just reading hadith, and narrating hadith, that's not something which they did at the beginning of Islam, out of fear that the two, that people will not understand the differ- differentiation between the two, and the two will become mixed up, especially amongst people who weren't familiar with, and were versed in the Quran and in the Sunnah. And that's why you find the statement of Abu Hurair radiAllahu an, which he says that if I were to narrate, and he says this towards the end of his life, if I were to narrate hadith like I do now in the time of Umar, he would have beaten me for it. And that's not because Umar in any way diminished an, the status of hadith or the importance of hadith, but it's because of the importance that they place on the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is an importance that now, unfortunately over time has diminished somewhat in the sense of, memorizing the Qur'an understanding the Qur'an and really getting to grips with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Qur'an. And so the methodology of the companions as we know of taking just a few verses, of memorizing them, of reading them, of understanding them, of having a complete tafsir of them and then applying them before they move on to the next group or batch of verses is something because they had that strong connection with the book of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why you don't find amongst all of the companions جمعين, that every one of them was a an expert in the Book of Allah Subhanahu Taala. You have companions, for example, that are known more for their recitation. right? So for example, companions like Ubayy ibn Ka'ab and Zaid ibn Thabit عنهما, are known to be masters of recitation, Salim, the Mawla of Abu Hudayfa, uh, even Abdullah ibn Mas'ud عنه, and others. And then you have companions who are known to be from the scholars of tafsir that, that was their specialism so abdullah ibn abbas and again abdullah ibn mas'ud radiyallahu anhum and aisha amongst others from amongst the companions who were known to make more tafsir of the quran and to be uh, to be experts in the tafsir of the book of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so allah azza wa jal mentions that the prophet sallallahu alayhi will be sent with these clear scriptures with these clear scrolls that are pure and then allah azza wa jalla in verse number 3 he says fiha kutubun containing true scriptures so the scriptures or the scrolls that he will recite from sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they will be they will contain within them true scriptures the meaning of the word and that's as we said one of the the names of this surah also that this surah is known by one of the names that is referred to in some of the old uh, in some of the old mushahif in the way that it's written is this the surah is known as suratul qayyima and Imam al-Bukhari in Sahih, when he speaks about the tafsir of this surah, he says the meaning of the word qayyimah is qa'imah, which basically means truthful and upright. So this surah, or this verse, or these books, contain scripture which is upright. Uh, in the translations that I have here, Abdul Harim says containing true scriptures, Mahsin Khan containing correct and straight laws from Allah, Sahih International within which are correct writings, and Mufti Taqi also containing right and straight writings so the word qayyim means qaim basically means upright it means truthful al Qatadah ta'ala said rasulun min allah yatlu suhufan he says that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the quran in the best of ways and he praises it with the best of praise that best of ways and best of praise is that it is pure that it only speaks the truth and that it is uh, given to us and recited to us by one who is pure and one who is truthful and one who is noble, our Prophet sallallahu And that's why if you look in the books of Tafsir, one of the things that you will find is that they mention that what makes the Quran special in terms of its stories and in terms of its lessons and in terms of the messages that Allah azza wa has placed within it are these points that Allah azza wa mentions here within Surah al And that's why some of the scholars said that one of the objectives of this Surah is to show to you the importance of the Quran so the surah before it surah al-qadr speaks about the importance of the night upon which it was revealed which is related to al-qadr then this surah speaks to you about the importance of the message of what is contained within the quran and that message is a message that is pure and that it is upright and that it is truthful and that it comes from a truthful source allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to his prophet sallallahu alaihi so qatada rahimahullah ta'ala says that allah azza wa jalla speaks about the quran and he mentions it in the best of ways and he praises it with the best of praise, Fi Rula. Al Imam at Tabari Rahimahullahu ta'ala he says that Allah Azza wa mentions the word Bayina and then he mentions that it is the Prophet of Allah and then he mentions that the Prophet recites from from pure scriptures and then Allah Azzawajal mentions and he clarifies what they are pure from. So something which is pure means that it has been purified and the impurity has been removed. So Allah in verse number 3 now is clarifying what is the impurity that has been removed. And that is that the Quran is upright and truthful. So what has been removed from it? What is the impurity? Falsehood. right? Falsehood is impure. Shirk is impure. Kufr is impure. Dalala, misguidance is impure. Hypocrisy is impure. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each verse, verse 3 clarifies verse 2, verse 2 clarifies the end of verse 1. And that is what he says, rahimahullah ta'ala. Al-Qurtubi Allah says that the meaning of the word qayyima means that it is mustakima, it is straight, it is mustawiyah, it is it is balanced, muhkama, it is it is it is upright and it is it is clear and it is uh the the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives laws which are clear and which are upright as well. And and the word he says comes from the root word of qama, Qama yaqum, which is to stand up, and that's because when a person stands they stand up straight. So when a person is sitting down, when they're slouching, when they stand up, the Arabs say "qama," because they stand up and they become upright. And so Allah Aj refers to this as being upright. One of the meanings that sometimes people take from the word, and so when you look at Tafsir, one of the, the benefits of looking at Tafsir is that you find that it's um, that you find, for example, the how meanings of words have changed over time. So the word "qama." As we can see from the statement of Imam Bukhari, and the statement of Al-Qurtubi, the statement of Al-Tabari, and others, and Qatada and others, is that the meaning of the word means upright and straight, something which is truthful. Now, the word qiyam, qayyim, qayyim, or qayyim is often referred to in, 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 in modern Arabic as meaning values, right? So we have different values. So, for example, someone says, you know that that uh, that um, that honesty is a value, trustworthiness is a value. Uh, fulfilling your oath is a value being having integrity is a value and so all of these are different values that you should have right and and that's not the root meaning of the word so when Allah says قيمة, the word doesn't mean that the Quran brings to you num- numerous values and so on obviously it brings to you values but those values are contained within the Quran being upright and straight and so the word of the meaning of the word in Arabic doesn't mean to have values, but it means that it is something which is upright and straight. And so when you take knowledge from that source that is upright and straight, you are given then values that are also upright and straight. Rather than trying to look or trying to impose values upon the Qur'an, we take our values from the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin al-Shaqiti, or rather his student Atiyah Salim rahimahullah ta'ala, relates from his Shaykh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al-Shaqiti. Sheikh Atiyah Salim is from the students of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala. He says that the word uh, in, in verse number three when Allah says fiha kutubun qayyimah, within it are kutub. And as we know, kutub is the plural of the word kitab. And it can refer to and mean scriptures or something which is written. So he says one of the opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir is that the word, the meaning of the word qutub is what is written. Right? What is written and what is recorded because the Quran has been recorded and written and preserved. And so he says that's the opinion that was given by Ali imam Al-Razi amongst others. And others said, no, the meaning of the word Qutb is that it refers to books. refers to books. It is literal in its meaning. The word of Qutb, as we know, is that it's referring to uh, to books. Why is it referring to books then? Because the Qur'an is only one book. It's not a number of books. Because in Arabic, books can also mean chapters. It can mean chapters and that's why the surah of the quran are like chapters of the quran they're like kutub so for example for those of you that have studied especially classical works when you go to for example even the books of hadith you will find often you know uh, the authors of hadith depending on which collection of hadith you go to often refer to chapters or especially uh, or they have chapters but then they have overarching chapters and then they have like smaller chapters within them the overarching chapters they call kitab and the kitab is has within it a number of abwab. Abwab meaning smaller chapters. So kitab is like a section. It's like a part of a book. So you have. The book of Salah, the Book of Tahara, and the Book of Zakat, and the Book of Fasting, and the Book of Hajj, and the Book of Tafsir, and the Book of Sirah, and the Book of, of, the, of the Expeditions and the and the and the battles of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and so on and so forth. What is the meaning of that? That it has many within it many different smaller chapters. And so when Allah says Qutbun Qayyamah, that opinion, the second opinion of the meaning of the word kutub goes back to that meaning that you find in classical literature even amongst the books of hadith and so on, that they would refer to kutub or a kitab not as one book but a kitab is something that you find that contains within it many different chapters and so you find within it um, you know you find for example the old collections of hadith have within them many different kutub right so you have kitab this kitab that kitab and that's what's being referred to and the other opinion is that the word or the meaning of the word maktub what is being referred to as the word kutub is the different signs of Allah and the different laws of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala different laws of Allah Azza wa Jal and this is the position that seems to have been chosen by, uh, by, the, by, by Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al taala, and this is the, the opinion also of an Imam al-Shawkani Rahimahullah ta'ala, that Allah Azza wa Jal says within it are many scriptures or many books what's being referred to is books what is being referred to is the written laws of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so the written laws of Allah Azza wa Jal is what is being referred to and if we look here that's the uh, that's the uh, translation that Muhsin Khan also seems to have chosen. So it may be that he went through, because Muhsin Khan often refers to um, al-Shawkani and, and others in, in his translation. So it's possible that that's what he used as well. So the meaning of the word fiha kutubun qayyimah is, according to Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al Taala, referring to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that have been written and recorded within the Qur'an. So Allah Azza wa as we can see in verse number 1 speaks about the importance of the bayyinah, the clear evidence. And in verse number 2 he clarifies the clear evidence as being the Prophet وسلم, that it is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and that, that Messenger of Allah brings with him a scripture that he recites that is pure. And then that scripture that is pure, that is recited, is further clarified in verse number 3 as having being upright and straight and full of wisdom and knowledge. And that is therefore the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore you can see how even amongst the opinions of the scholars of tafsir concerning the word bayina, those who said it is Quran or those who said that it is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the two are Uh, Inextricably linked. You don't get the Prophet except that you get the Quran, and you don't get the Quran except that you get the Prophet. And that then shows you the fallacy of those people who try to, especially in our time now, where we have this resurgence of people who try to split the two, right, and try to say, no, we just focus on the Quran and we don't place so much stock in the hadith of the Prophet. Yes, we love the Prophet and respect him, but we don't really know about his sayings and his narrations and so on. And they try to, you know, they try to uh, create a distance between the two. And they consider one to be authoritative, the Qur'an, and the other one to be more subjective. And that is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, by studying tafsir and by understanding the way that Allah even refers to this and the, and, the, and the understanding of the early scholars of tafsir, you see how the two are so closely linked that you cannot you cannot separate the two to that extent. You can't have one except that you have the other. And so that is also one of the benefits that we take from this verse or from these verses of the beginning of Surah al Okay, if there's any questions, inshallah ta'ala, I'll take some questions because the next verse, inshallah, we'll leave for, for next week rather than just starting it for a couple of minutes and then and then stopping there. So before I forget again, inshallah ta'ala, just in case someone missed it, inshallah, next week we start at 8 p.m. bi ta'ala, we start at 8 p.m. UK time, bi ta'ala. Ticos mentions a, a very a good point as well and that is that the word sayyara, for example, right, sayyara is a classical word that has changed over time. So sayyara, uh, And this would actually be a very good thing to do. You know, if someone wanted to do this, and this isn't a research question I'm giving you, but if someone wanted to go away and do this themselves, just as something that they could put out for the for the speakers of the English language to understand the Quran, of how classical words that are mentioned in the Quran have changed over time. So the the, the modern usage of the word is not the same as the classical usage of the word. And there are numerous examples that you find all in the Quran, but even in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So say yara, which today means car, doesn't means sayara in classical language sayara in classical language can mean a caravan of people but it generally means to journey and to travel right that's what it's referring to sayara to uh, to someone who is travelling upon the earth and that's why caravans were given this this word right riaz mentions sa'a sa'a also is always referred to a portion of time sa'a is always referred to a portion of time but not necessarily 60 minutes so in the hadith that you have of the Friday prayer. The person who goes to the Friday prayer in the first hour is like the one who sacrificed a camel and in the second hour like a cow and so on. The different sacrifices that are mentioned, each hour is not necessarily 60 minutes because sometimes you don't have enough time uh, within that. You have more than six six hours between uh, the beginning of the day and and until Jum'ah. So depending on where you live. So the meaning of that isn't necessarily that, but the word Sa'ah meant a portion of time in classical Arabic, necessarily the 60 minutes that we refer to today another example would be the word walad walad in classical arabic can refer to male or female whereas today in modern arabic it generally refers to sons and male children only the point is that that's something which um you know inshallah taala, which which would be good if someone wanted to research i think that would be something nice to present to people because most people don't understand those differences and that obviously makes then a difference even in in translations you find people making certain mistakes especially when it comes to the word walad and so on making mistakes in the way that they translate certain verses of the quran and to understand that difference then allows you to understand some of the finer nuances of the verses of the quran for example in the story of Maryam salam and the difference between surah al Imran and surah Maryam in the way that she refers to isa um, as Shaz has just mentioned, inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll speak about something else that we're going to start off which is a telegram group for QP students which will allow us just to have another form of, ed, of, 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 of getting into contact with you guys just in case on the odd occasion we have some technical problems with the portal and so on so that's something which inshallah ta'ala will mention next week um, Sumira, sorry that word order went wrong in my question below I meant the pronoun, refers to the suhuf, how best to interpret Fi, sorry, you've completely lost me there. Question is the word fiha, the ha. Fiha kutubun Yes, so the fiha refers to the scriptures. So when Allah Azza says in verse number two, suhu the fiha, the ha, refers to the suhuf. Suhuf in the plural is referred to in the feminine form. Okay. Can we say that this surah talks about the power of the Qur'an? Yes, it's one of the surahs that speaks about the virtues of the Qur'an, the power of the Qur'an, the beauty of the Qur'an, the importance of the message of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala we're going to conclude there for today. Barakallahu feekum, jazaakumullahu khayran and inshallah ta'ala I will hopefully hopefully see you guys next week, 8 o'clock. May Allah azza wa jal keep us all safe and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Wa sallallahu ala bin Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi وبركاته